Well, good morning. Our passage this morning is Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 31. If you're using one of the Pew Bibles in front of you, that's on page 975. And as Cody said earlier, my name is Kevin Cohane, and I'm on staff here. And uh, this is the first time that I've had the opportunity to preach here at Sasha Baptist Church. So thank you for that this morning. And as you turn there uh, on page 975, would you pray with me as we sit under God's word this morning? Father, we bow before your throne this morning. You know all things about each and every soul in this room better than we know ourselves, Lord. Christ, may we sit under the grace and redemption the cross this morning. May we never forget your prayer in the garden or your walk to Golgotha or your open tomb or the curtain being torn in two. Spirit, would you be at work in every soul in this room today? Would you draw each to salvation or to sanctification? May we not dismiss or underestimate the magnitude of the daily work that you do in us. It's in the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit that we pray. Amen. So would you follow along with me as I read from Acts chapter 9 this morning, beginning in verse 1. It reads, Now Saul was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. He went to the high priest and requested letters from him to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any men or women who belonged to the way, he might bring them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he traveled and was nearing Damascus, a light from heaven suddenly flashed around him, Falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul said. I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting, he replied. But get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the sound but seeing no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. So they took him by the hand and led him into Damascus. He was unable to see for three days and did not eat or drink. There was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, Here I am, Lord, he replied. Get up and go to the street called Straight, the Lord said to him, to the house of Judas, and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, since he is praying there. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and placing his hands on him so that he may regain his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard from many people about this man how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has authority here from the chief priests to arrest 
all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for this man is my chosen instrument to take my name to Gentiles, kings, and Israelites. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Ananias went and entered the house. He placed his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road you were traveling, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. At once, something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul was with the disciples in Damascus for some time. Immediately, he began proclaiming Jesus in the synagogues. He is the Son of God. All who heard him were astounded and said, Isn't this the man in Jerusalem who was causing havoc for those who called on this name and came here for the purpose of taking them as prisoners to the chief priests? But Saul grew stronger and kept confound, confounding <coughs> excuse me, the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. After many days had passed, the Jews conspired to kill him. But Saul learned of their plot. So they were watching the gates day and night, intending to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and lowered him in a large basket through an opening in the wall. When he arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, since they did not believe he was a disciple. Barnabas, however, took him and brought him to the apostles and explained to them how Saul had seen the Lord on the road and that the Lord had talked to him and how in Damascus he had spoken boldly in the name of Jesus. Saul was coming and going with them in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He conversed and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. When the brothers found out, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So the church throughout all of Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and was strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord, and it was encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It increased in numbers. Amen. Now often, uh, a preacher will stand up here at the pulpit and may start to embark on asking a series of rhetorical questions, leading you to consider where you see yourself here in the passage, or which character in this story that you connect with, but not today. No one in this room is Saul, or Ananias, or one of the disciples, or an onlooker, or anyone else in this story. But we do share something in common with each and every person in the story. Each of them, and each of us, is a sinner in defiant rebellion of God, who's in need of a salvation that can't be attained apart from Jesus Christ. That's who we all are. And it doesn't matter whether you've lived a life marked with hatred or angst against God, or if you grew up in a Christian context surrounded by the Bible, maybe 24-7. Apart from true faith in Christ, all of our eternal outlooks are pretty grim.
Sorry, excuse me. So I believe it's important this morning for us to look and consider how we view God in light of this text in Acts chapter 9 and investigate how our view impacts our daily lives. So let's turn back to our text in Acts 9. Right off the bat, we see in verse 1, it reads, Now Saul was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. He went to the high priest and requested letters from him to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any men or women who belonged to the way, he might bring them as prisoners to Jerusalem. But you may have noticed at the beginning there, there's a funny thing. Saul's reference to still breathing threats and murder. And you might have asked yourself why that is. So flip back with me just a few pages in your Bible to the end of Acts 7, starting in verse 54. So Acts 7, verse 54, we're going to read the end of that chapter and then just the very beginning of chapter 8. It reads, When they heard these things, they were enraged and gnashed their teeth at him. Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven. He saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. He said, Look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. They yelled at the top of their voices, covered their ears, and together rushed against him. They dragged him out of the city and began to stone him, and the witnesses laid their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And after saying this, he died. Saul agreed with putting him to death. On that day, a severe persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout the land of Judea and Samaria. Devout men buried Stephen and mourned deeply over him. Saul, however, was ravaging the church. He would enter house after house, drag off men and women, and put them in prison. So now with that little glimpse from the end of chapter 7, the beginning of chapter 8, we now have the full picture of Saul up to this point in Scripture. Saul isn't your average spiritual or political leader who's opposed to Christ's teachings or just the gospel. Saul really, for all intents and purposes, is a man with seemingly no moral compass, and whose only mission is to bring an end to the gospel of Jesus Christ. But the story quickly changes on the road to Damascus. So our first point to focus in on this morning is that God is in sovereign control of salvation. We see it. All of a sudden here in verse 3, we have some serious heavenly intervention. With just a flash of light and 32 words, from an unseen source, Saul has gone from hunting with authority to blindly awaiting mercy. In just a matter of moments, from seeking to extinguish the gospel altogether to following the words of one who became flesh to fulfill it himself. 
So Saul was traveling to Damascus. He had written approval in his hands to imprison followers of Christ. And now Christ himself, in this moment, is speaking to him. And Saul is finishing this journey, being led by those same hands that carried these decrees to follow Christ's very command. It's pretty undeniable that God's in sovereign control here. I think that's easy for us to see in the case of Saul. But he's also using Ananias, a believer, to bring this miraculous conversion story to completion. The Lord comes to Ananias in a vision once Saul has arrived in Damascus. And as you can see, Ananias eagerly responds to the Lord's voice. However, he kind of hits the brakes when he hears that God is calling to him, calling him to be a part of healing Saul. But God already has big plans for Saul. Look at how he describes it in verses 15 and 16 to Ananias. He says, or it says, excuse me, but the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name to the Gentiles, kings, and Israelites. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. So the Lord refers to Saul here as his chosen instrument. These words in the Greek you could also translate along the lines of God's elected vessel. And if we were studying the book of Acts in its entirety, then we would see in detail exactly how this comes to fruition as we go further and further into the book. But the short of it is that the book of Acts visibly demonstrates that the gospel is no longer just for the Jews. It's also for all of the Gentile community in light of the work that Christ has done. And in the coming months, we'll have the privilege to study the book of Romans, which Paul, at this point, Saul, is the author of. So while God's sovereignty is astonishing in Saul's life, Let's continue to not look past it in Ananias' life. This is obviously speculative, but Ananias could have just been days away from imprisonment, maybe even death, at the hands of Saul. And now what is God doing in his sovereignty? God is using Ananias' hands to bring Saul from death to life in Christ, to be a direct witness to the renewal of Saul's sight and even his baptism. So those things, seeing how the Lord is working in Saul's life and working in Ananias' life, should lead us to ask a few questions of ourselves today. Ask yourself, how do I view God? Where do I personally stand with him? Are you sitting here today confident in your faith and marveling at God's sovereignty here in Acts 9? If so, there'll be more to consider in the next few minutes. But maybe you're sitting here now. You're unsure of where you stand with God. Maybe you're curious or searching, but confused or directionless with where to go next or what to do. I want to encourage you to continue to consider and wrestle with that, with these two things. Continue to think about who God is and also continue to think about why you feel drawn to him 
What is it that's causing you to be curious or search? These two things will help you to lead to asking the right questions about your faith. I hope that you have someone in your life, maybe someone here with you today, that you feel comfortable processing those thoughts with. But if you don't, please reach out to our pastors, our staff, and do that after service today. Do it via phone, via email, however you need to do it. You can do it by dropping a little card in the boxes in the lobby. But we'd be happy to sort through these questions with you. And as we look back at our text, the latter part of verse 19 through the end of our passage tells the beginning of Saul's ministry in Damascus and Jerusalem and soon to be all over. So that first focus we had was on God being sovereign over salvation. But now we'll also focus on God being sovereign over sanctification. Now that word, sanctification, might be unfamiliar to you. Think about it as maturation in faith or living more and more in accordance with how we ought to biblically. So God gave Ananias that explanation of his plans for Saul in verses 15 and 16. But he's also teaching Ananias to trust him more through that. So now Saul's ministry has begun and immediately those who hear Saul preaching Christ question him. Look at verse 21. All who heard him were astounded and said, Isn't this the man in Jerusalem who was causing havoc for those who called on this name and came here for the purpose of taking them as prisoners to the chief priests? So that that term there, causing havoc, or maybe in your Bible or your translation it says made havoc, is used in only one other place in the New Testament. That's in Galatians 1, in both verses 13 and 23. The author of Galatians is Paul, formerly Saul. So Paul is recounting God's call on him. And here are the two verses from Galatians 1. Verse 13, For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. Verse 23, they only were hearing it, said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. In both of those verses, one ends to destroy it, one ends to destroy. That word for destroy is the same as that term caused or made havoc. So you can understand why God's people those who have faith might be struggling to fathom and accept that this man who was seeking to literally destroy the church would be preaching Christ now. But what happens as a result of that? Verse 22. But Saul grew stronger and kept confounding the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. Now Saul didn't grow in literal strength he was, this wasn't a uh, Marvel Hulk moment for all of you Marvel fans. But the implication here is that his spiritual strength and resolve grew. The Spirit used this pushback against Saul to continue to spur him on. Then we see in verses 23 through 25 that Saul has to escape 
the Jews who are plotting to kill him. And now we have to take a step back and see that we have come full circle. If you remember, at the end of chapter 7 and into the start of chapter 8, Saul was there ordering and affirming of the stoning and killing of Stephen. Saul now finds himself fleeing death in order to carry forth that same gospel message that Stephen did. Saul finds himself in Jerusalem seeking to join the disciples there after being the leading persecutor of the church in Jerusalem. But then we see the disciples, just like Ananias. They can't fathom that this man is a believer and witness to the gospel. But here's one thing to note. If you look in verse 23, it begins, after many days had passed. Yours may say, when many days had passed, or something along those lines. Based on the dating of biblical and historical accounts, many commentators, theologians, have this as three years' time where Saul is in Damascus. We can easily read that and think many days, ah, he was there for a week, two weeks, maybe a month. Three years that Saul was in Damascus. So Saul had preached the gospel faithfully for three years in Damascus. And now these disciples in Jerusalem still had their doubts. And thankfully, Barnabas comes forward. He vouches for Saul and advocates to the legitimacy of Saul's conversion and ministry. So Saul begins to preach again. And then we see his life at risk again. And he's sent out from Jerusalem. But now for the believers in the room, we have to ask ourselves some hard questions. And I'm gonna go through these and, and pause a little, give you some time to consider or write them down or take notes or whatever you feel is best for you. But feel free if at any point to ask a pew neighbor or find me after the service if you miss anything. But consider some of these questions. What limitations do you put on God? They may not even be intentional, but what are you limiting him to so that you can comprehend it? What things still exist that hold you back in your witness? Could you be bringing more glory to God by sacrificing a want, a comfort, or a desire of some kind? And lastly, we see this very prevalent in Saul's story. But what is your mission now that you know Christ? How boldly and wholeheartedly do you live that mission out in your daily life? Now these questions can immediately, for any of us in the room, myself included, cause immediate discouragement or self-loathing towards how we've lived out our faith. But be uplifted that just as the Spirit was working in Saul throughout the totality of Acts 9 here, he's also working in Ananias and the disciples and any onlookers and witnesses, and the Spirit is also working in us. 
God is sovereignly sanctifying us. The Spirit is guiding us in dying to self and living for Christ. The Spirit is guiding us in changing our hearts to long for that which God longs for, not that which the world longs for. And now every conversion story is unique, right? Everyone's sanctification looks different. Things like time frames or circumstances, steps forward, steps backward, seasons of flourishing, seasons of doubt, all make up the testimony of God's sovereignty in each of our lives. But what each believer in this room can embrace as we consider any of these questions for ourselves is exactly what the first century church had to embrace. Look here at verse 31. It reads, so the church throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and was strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. Now, you may be sitting here, sorting through a whole bunch of thoughts as pertains to your faith or your walk or your testimony and how God has been sovereign in your life. And I will say, as I'm preaching here this morning, just to give some reflection that I've had in walking through this passage in Acts 9. I never would have thought that almost 15 years ago, walking in here periodically after sleeping over a friend's house, that my faith would become real, that Jesus Christ would change my life for eternity. I certainly never thought I'd be up here, that's for sure, but to see how God works in your life, I pray that this morning each of you be able to reflect on it, be able to take time and consider even the small glimpses of God's sovereignty, how he has worked to bring you to faith, but also how he has worked to mature you to this point. And the reality is that God often uses people in your story. And probably for many of you, there are people who are in this church, maybe not exactly today, but who've been a part of this church at some point. And I pray that this morning that we'd be able to consider and pray for those people, give thanks and praise to the Lord. But in light of verse 31, how we finish our passage this morning, know that we can leave here today and strive to each day walk in fear of the Lord, not fear of man. We can leave here today and strive to trust in the comfort and assurance of the Holy Spirit, certainly not the comfort and assurance of our own ability or capacity. If we can do that, God's sovereignty, God's sovereignty will be what powers us and equips us. It will cause us to have wonder and awe towards him. We'll praise him, we'll rejoice at his work and his power. We'll have boldness and confidence to share our testimonies with other people. We'll have boldness and confidence 
to go forth and carry out the mission that's in front of us. We'll be able to continue to decrease our worries, our anxieties, our fears, whatever else may be in the way, and we can truly find peace and solace in what God is doing, whether we understand it or not. And as we see here, his church will grow. Hearts will be drawn to him, lives changed for eternity. The church, along with us, will be sovereignly built up. It will grow, it will mature. And it will be evidently clear that each testimony of salvation from each one of us and every piece of spiritual growth and development comes from God's sovereign plan just as it did here in Acts 9. Would you pray with me this morning? God, we thank you that you are sovereign, not only in salvation and sanctification, but in all things. There is nothing that surprises you. We pray that you would use the believers of South Shore Baptist Church in the way that you see fit to bring glory to your name. Father, we pray that you would strip us of any preconceptions or ideas of what your will for us is that come from our own self. Son, we thank you for your example of faithfulness here on earth and the sacrifice on the cross to give us the possibility of forgiveness and eternal life. And Holy Spirit, may you continue to shape and mold each of us. May we strive to always be open to your leading and may we seek wisdom and discernment from you, not ourselves or any other man. It is in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit that we give thanks and pray this morning. Amen.